Well, thank you for being here. As uh, I started a new series uh, last week on the amazing stories of the heroes of faith. And last week we talked about Enoch, who walked with God in the midst of a horrible culture that wasn't walking with God. And so we see that there is a possibility that even when nobody else wants to walk with God, that we can through the power of God and the presence of God in our lives. And our theme verse for this series is Hebrews 11.6, which says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that God is, that God exists, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So, so God is pleased with faith. He is displeased when we don't have faith. And so we find, first of all, that uh, Enoch was a man of faith and he pleased God. And Hebrew 11, Hebrews 11 tells about all the different people who please God by faith. So if nothing else, if you don't get anything else, it's this. If you want to be pleasing to God, you have to trust Him, believe in Him, not just intellectually, but believe in Him with a faith that does something. Faith is an active verb. It's just not an intellectual assent. It results in us having faith in God and us doing something for God. And He's called us to do something for Him. And today we come to Noah. And I've entitled today's message, A Faith That Floats. Uh, You want to have a faith that stays above all that's going on around it. And that's the kind of faith Noah had. He had an unsinkable faith. And so our verse follows 11.6 when it talks about Noah. That's chapter 11, verse 7 of Hebrews. And it says this, By faith, once again, what does it take to please God? Faith. By faith, Enoch walked with God. By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So let me make this point. We need to have faith, but our faith is only as good as the object in which we place it. And that's what's important. A lot of people have faith, but they have faith in the wrong things. So our faith is wonderful, but what do we have our faith in? Where we put our faith determines if our faith is going to sink or float. Let me give you an illustration. A lot of people had faith in a good ship, a wonderful ship, called the Titanic. A great ocean liner that in 1912, was considered a marvel of engineering. It was considered to be unsinkable. It was a monstrous floating palace. Most of us have read about it. I dare say there's not anybody here that remembers when it started off and was launched with 2,000 people on board, but it was a palace, luxurious, filled with all kind of lavish stuff that was unbelievable for its day, had ballrooms, 
theaters, beauty salons, tennis courts, sauna baths, every luxurious item you could think of. But here's some lessons we can learn from the Titanic that can apply to us today. First of all, the people on the Titanic had confidence in what man could do. So the ship was marked by a lot of confident people. The builders said it will never sink. The, the captain said it would never sink. All of the sailors on board said it would never sink. So all the people got on board in faith believing it was unsinkable. Because they had built it with compartments for the first time. And if one compartment was damaged and filled with water, it would stay afloat. If two compartments, it would stay afloat. If three compartments or four compartments, it was unsinkable in their mind and in their hearts. So they said to every passenger, don't worry, just have a good time. Enjoy yourself. It's unsinkable. And they put their faith in what man had said and what man could do. In fact, one sailor even said this, even God Himself cannot sink this ship. So it was marked by confidence. It was also marked by carelessness. Because the people never thought about the ship sinking. So they just went about eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and having a good time. In fact, let me quote you what one passenger said. We were out on a lark and revelry and partying was the keynote. The weather was superb. The comfort and luxury were all that had been promised. The bay days were passing too quickly. I felt as if I could go on to the end of time. Those who were keeping watch on the ship every now and then would sound the hour and they would say, all is well, the lights are burning brightly. But it wouldn't be too long until the lights would go out. Because the ship was not only marked by confidence and carelessness, it was marked by calamity. On the night of April 14th, four days after it started sailing, going along at 22 knots at 11.40 p.m. that night of April 14th, it ran beside an iceberg that cut a gash the size of a football field in the hull of the ship. In five compartments filled with water. Some of the people heard the jolt, felt the difference in the ship, but most of the people went on believing what they had been told, nothing can happen to this ship. Their faith was in what man could do. And then we find suddenly a rocket was fired at 12.45 almost a little over an hour later, in hopes that someone would see the signal. In fact, they fired eight rockets that night that no one ever saw because no one was expecting the ship to sink. At 1.30 in the morning, the dream cruise had turned into a nightmare. There were over 2,000 people on board when they decided we need to abandon the ship. The problem was because everybody thought it was unsinkable, there was only lifeboats for half as many people that was on the ship. So a thousand people, so they let women and children fill up the lifeboats. And they surrounded the Titanic. 
almost like loved ones surround a person in the hospital bed knowing it's not going to be long. And there in horror, they saw those thousand people left on that ship. Suddenly as the ship began to sink and break apart, go down into a watery grave. You see, when the Titanic started sailing, there was three classes of people. There was the lower class, the middle class, and mostly the upper class. But when the ship went down, there was only two classes of people. Those that were saved and those that were lost. And ultimately in life, that's the only two categories of people that there ever will be. Those that have found salvation from the judgment of life and those that are lost and rejected it will go down without surviving. So today we can find that here was the Titanic built by professionals that sunk and here was the ark built by an amateur that stayed afloat in the harshest of conditions. So we are to learn some lessons from Noah that we can apply to our lives today. First of all, let's look at Noah's faith. In Hebrews 11.7, Although there's a lot about Noah in Genesis, we're going to mainly refer to 11.7 where it says, By faith, Noah. So Noah had faith. But he didn't have any kind of faith. He didn't have an intellectual faith. He just didn't know about God. He knew God and listened to God and heard God. And therefore, Noah had what I would call a working faith. He As Enoch had a walking faith, Noah had a working faith because when he heard God, he began to do things for God, whatever God had commanded. Because we read once again that he, being warned of God, now you're saying, moved with fear, prepared an ark. So his faith led him to do what God had asked him to do. In James chapter 2, verse 26 tells us, That faith without works is dead. You're not saved by works. But once you're saved, you're not just to sit, soak, and sour. We're saved to serve. We're saved to do something. To use our gifts and our abilities for the Lord. And I don't think people get that today. It's like I've come to church for what the church can do for me. Well, we ought to come to church and say, what can I do for Christ and for God? And I can use His sanctuary, His place of His believers that meet together and give my life to do something that's eternal for God. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 tells us, For it's by grace we've been saved through faith. And this is not from ourselves, it's the gift of God. And we're not saved by works so that we could boast. In other words, you and I can't do anything to earn salvation. It is given by the grace of God and we have faith that we can trust God that when we put our trust in what Jesus has done for us, it is counted to us as righteousness, as salvation. But the moment we get saved, the next verse tells us in verse 10 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. God's got a plan for your life, a plan for my life, to do something for Him. And so, 
Noah saw that and had a working faith. A lot of people say, well, I've got faith in God, but they don't have enough faith in God to get them to study the Bible. People say, I've got faith in God, but they don't have enough faith in God to get them to worship. What kind of faith is that? People say, I've got faith in God, but they can't make it to church. People say, I've got faith in God, but you can't get them in the baptistry after they've made a profession of faith in Jesus. The Lord says, we are to work for Him. If we have faith in the Lord Jesus and have saving faith and true faith, it will transform our lives and people will see our faith, as I said last week, a demonstration of it. Paul said, I didn't come to you with excellence of speech. I came to you in a demonstration. We demonstrate our faith by acting it out by what we do for the Lord Jesus Christ. So he had a working faith. Not only did he have a working type of faith, but he had a warning faith. Once again, let's go back to verse 7 of chapter 11. By faith, Noah being warned. So, how did he get warned? God spoke to Noah. He didn't just say, well, hey, I'm believing God. I think I'll just build me a big old boat out here in the desert to show everybody how much I believe in God. No. Why did he build a boat in the middle of a desert? Not to show who he was, because he heard God. God spoke to his heart. And that's where you get faith. Faith comes by what? By hearing. Hearing what? The Word of God. Romans 10, 17. So when we hear God, that's when we act upon what God has said. So if you want to have faith, you've got to hear God. And God has spoken to us through His Word. So we find that God spoke to Noah and said, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to destroy the world, but I want you to build an ark. And I can see Noah going, I'll do that. Just let me know one thing. What's an ark? You know? Uh, and, uh, and God gave him a plan and showed him exactly what to build. And we talked about that Wednesday night as I go through the series of finding Jesus in the Old Testament. Is that God gave a plan of how to build the boat and if you would look at that plan today, most of our large super carriers of ships have that exact type of architectural design as the ark has. And you know, they finally found the ark. It's up in Kentucky. <clears throat> and for $12, they'll let you see it. All right. Um, oh, they have a life size replica of the ark there. And who knows, some of us may go there in the near future so <clears throat> that's wonderful but the reason that Noah acted was he was warned he heard God and he had the faith to believe God and true faith is always rooted in the word of God what this book tells us is what God has spoken to us through his word so he had a working faith and he had a warning faith, and he also had a waiting faith. Now that's the hard part. Is we often hear God and we respond to God by faith, but many times God's timetable is different than our timetable. And can we wait on the Lord? You remember Mary and Martha got upset with Jesus when they sent for Him, and He got there, what? Four days too late. And they were kind of upset. And they said, Lord, we called on you. If you'd come here at the right time, you could have 
saved our brother from dying. But now he's already dead, buried, and stinking. And you show up. Do you hear a little bit of aggravation there? They couldn't wait on God. They had the power to believe that He could raise Him from sickness. They just didn't believe He could raise Him from the dead. Our problem is we make our God too small. And we have a hard time waiting. You know, especially on God. We pray for God to do something. If He doesn't do it in the next 15 seconds, well, I don't believe in God anymore is the way our society almost... But those who really have faith in God, and that's what Noah did, is Noah prepared an ark. You know how long it took him to build the ark? <clears throat> Talk about a backyard project. <clears throat> it took him 120 years. And as he built the ark, he just obeyed God and trusted that what the Lord said, because many times we don't see the fulfillment of our prayers or the promises of God right away. But Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 tells us, those who wait on the Lord will find that their strength will be renewed and they'll be able <clears throat> to mount up with wings like eagles, run and not be weary, <clears throat> and walk and not faint. Wow, what a wonderful verse for us to keep in our mind. So wait on the Lord. And when we have that kind of faith that can wait on the Lord because we really trust the Lord, that Bible tells us, Jesus said, so when you ask, keep on asking. And when you knock, keep on knocking. And when you seek, keep on seeking. In other words, just don't do it once. Just keep on keeping on. And then as you trust and wait, God will show up at His timetable when He wants to move. Do we have that kind of faith? Do we believe God's Word is true? Because real faith does not depend on what we see. <clears throat> real faith depends on what God has said. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. So when Noah started building the ark, what does it say? Hebrews 11, 7. Thank you. Is that water? I was really hoping for something stronger. <laughs> but we might have had a whole different sermon. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> and wouldn't that be fun? We'd have great attendance next Sunday, I guarantee you that. <clears throat> wouldn't take any faith for people to be here. They'd go, you ought to see what I saw last Sunday. <clears throat> Alright. Hebrews eleven seven. By faith Noah being warned of God of things, what? Not yet seen. Did you know, according to what it seems like the Bible is saying, that when Noah started building an ark and God said it's going to flood, there had never been any rain. And he's building an ark where there is no water. And not just a little boat. It'd be one thing if it was like a little schooner. But he's building a boat, you know, a football field and a half long. 900 and something feet. So it's not like People just pass by. It's like something you can see for miles before you ever get there. And people say, what the heck is that? He says, well, there's this nutty guy building a big old boat for some reason. And he's been doing it for 120 years. You think most of us, if we started something that hadn't started raining that first week, we think, I ain't going to keep building that boat because I just can't take the ridicule. But he didn't. Because his faith was in what God had said. And God had said, it's going to rain, Noah. 
and the earth is going to be flooded, and I want you and your family and anybody else that wants to get on this boat saved from destruction because I'm bringing judgment. And Noah believed God. And so, when he was warned of God, we know that in Genesis it tells us that it hadn't rained, but there was a mist that went up from the earth that kept everything watered at that point in time. And then when Noah had finished the ark, it started raining. But faith is the evidence of things not seen. And he just obeyed God because he heard God and had faith in God. So we see the, the faith of Noah. Now let's look at the fear of Noah. Noah's fear. Verse 7 again of chapter 11. By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not as yet seen, was moved with fear. Now people say, oh, that's not right. Well, let me tell you, fear is a great motivator. If I'm walking down a forest trail and I hear something rattling, you're going to say a fat boy fly. Let me tell you that. I'm going to come back later and find out what it is. Or what it was. Or I'm going to ask my wife to go, hey, go find out what that was. <laughs> She's not here this morning, so I'm free. Uh, oh, I forgot the video. Cut that off. <laughs> <clears throat> but anyway, he was moved by fear. People say, well, that's not right. And preachers are not to move people by fear. Well, let me tell you what. I'd rather someone be feared of going to hell and make a decision for Jesus than for me to super sleep them into, into false pretenses that they're going to make heaven by doing nothing. So fear is a great motivator. I'm motivated. My doctor said, if you don't lose weight, you're going to have a heart attack. That's a great motivator. The insurance company says, if you have one more accident, we're going to take away your insurance or we're going to raise it up where you can't afford it. That's a great motivator to drive safely. Fear motivates all of us. So fear and the power of fear pushes us and motivates us. That's why Jesus said, do not be afraid of those that can kill your body. Be afraid of those who can ruin your soul and can send your body and your soul to hell. That's what we're to be afraid of more than anything else. To me, my greatest fear is that somebody will stand before God unpardoned, unforgiven, and uncleansed when they could have had their sin taken away by their trust and belief in Jesus. Why would anybody want to attempt to make it into heaven on their own works when the Bible says it will never happen? The fear of us going Missing heaven are to motivate us into wanting to go to heaven and missing hell. So Noah was motivated by fear. And he, and it's a reverential fear. And we know that we are to have that kind of fear because the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we don't have a reverential fear, that God is in control and that God is one day going to, as He sent judgment upon that generation, that there's another judgment that's coming. But yet people don't believe it. And they, as they laughed at Noah, they, they laugh at those today who believe that Jesus is one day going to come back to this earth. So Noah has foresight. He had faith and fear and his foresight. What was his foresight? Look again at verse 7. Being warned by God of things that he hadn't seen yet, was moved with fear, motivated by fear, motivated by his faith that what God said 
was true, and he did what? Prepared an ark. And he started preparing the ark before it ever started raining. So what does that tell us about Noah's faith? He believed God, and he's getting ready for what God is going to do. He is getting ready so that when God does what He says He's going to do, He'll be prepared for that moment. When we hear the Weather Channel tell us that there's a hurricane 4 or 5 fixing to hit the coast somewhere near Beaumont, what do we do? Well, I'm just going to sit here and I'm not going to believe it until that thing hits. Well, let me tell you, the moment it hits, it's too late. We get prepared... Even though we don't like it, we'll say, I'm going to have... So we have enough faith in the weatherman who's only right 50% of the time. How much more faith do we have in God who's right 100% of the time? And when He says, judgment's coming, we ought to say, I'm not going to be like those in Noah's day who ignored what God had said and had all the opportunity in the world to get their lives right and to get on board that ark, but they chose not to. Because here's what many of them said then, as many people say today. Well, I tell you what, when judgment starts happening, I'll get my life right with God right then. Are you kidding me? You will not. Because first of all, His coming is going to be very sudden. And if you're not prepared before it happens, you won't be ready when it happens. And so there is a message here that we need to see in Noah's, from Noah's life because Amos chapter 4, verse 12, God told Amos, prepare to meet your God. And maybe, whether it's coming by the second coming, because none of us know. I'm doing a funeral today to a man last week who was sitting in this auditorium. Today he's in heaven. Suddenly, just like that. And nobody in this audience has any knowledge that they'll be here next week. And the question would be, am I prepared if my life was suddenly taken to meet God? Most people, or if they're honest, would say, no, I'm not, I would like, I'd like to get prepared. Well, the problem is we need to get prepared and stay prepared so that we're always ready for the Lord to take us. In fact, that's what Jesus said. It's amazing how wise people are about material things and how foolish they are about spiritual things. Because we get everything ready. We can get everything ready physically for a disaster, but are we ready spiritually for a disaster? In Luke chapter 12, there was a man who said, man, i got so much stuff, I don't know what to do with it. I think I'll just have to tear down the barns that i got and build bigger barns to take all of my stuff. And while he was planning that, that night he died suddenly. Don't know what he died of, it just says he died unexpectedly. And the Lord says that man was a fool because he got his physical house in order, but he wasn't ready spiritually. And then in Luke 16, I think it's the same man that Jesus says, and in hell he lifted up his eyes. But it's too late. He hadn't prepared while there was still time. And Jesus said, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, But at that day and hour knows no man, nor the angels in heaven, but my Father heaven in heaven. In other words, everybody says, Well, I know God's going to give me some kind of sign. Here's your sign. Get right today. While today you hear His voice, don't harden your heart 
like the people in the Old Testament did and refused to get their lives right while there was time. And then he goes on and says, as it was in the days of Noah, and then we see what it was like in the days of Noah in verses 38 and 39. For as it was in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And they knew not until the flood came and it took them all away. So shall also be the coming of the Son of Man be. There's a comparison. Just like the people when the flood came were not prepared, there'll be people who will not be prepared when Jesus returns. And that's it. So what are those Marks of Noah's day. Well, we see in this verse, first of all, there was indifference. Verse 38 says, They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. There's nothing wrong with that. What does that mean? That just means people were going about their daily business. They weren't looking for anything bad to happen. Just like the people on the Titanic were not thinking anything bad's going to happen. And you talk about the second coming, even there's people in churches today that go, oh, that's going to be a long way off. I wouldn't put all of my eggs in that basket. And I'll get ready right before it happens. But you need to get ready now. So they were going on with their lifestyle. And do you think in Buna, Texas this morning, there are some people who are not ready? I guarantee you, as you would drive around our town, or Evadale, or Kerberville, or any town in southeast Texas, although there's quite a few people in church, there's more people not in church this morning than they're in church. One time I looked it up and looked at statistics, and in our town, 90% of the people in our town aren't in church on any given Sunday. 90%! And we ought to be praying and thinking, what can we do to change that it's not that they're anti-God. They're just indifferent. They just go, well, I don't really know about this. And a lot of it is because they've never been told. They've never heard the true Gospel. And how can they hear unless we care enough to go to them? The saddest words in the Bible was what the psalmist said. He said, I looked on my right hand and looked on my left and behold, there was no person that cared for my soul. We ought to care. Even if people are indifferent. And then there was immorality. Verse 38 says they were marrying and giving in marriage. And the terminology there is they had no sanctity for marriage. There were multiple marriages, multiple partners. Before marriage, multiple partners. While they were married, there was promiscuity and adultery that was rampant. Marriage meant nothing. So we see it was marked by indifference, marked by immorality. And we live in a day and age where people think the more vulgar you are, the funnier you are. So most of our comedy today is built around vulgarity. Embarrassing things. So that I, don't, I don't see how anybody says, how could that be funny? When you have to deal with a family that's had adultery and had teenage pregnancies, it's not a laughing matter. It's a life-changing, broken-hearted matter. But yet, that's the way our airwaves are filled with people who say, oh, no big deal. Everybody does it. It's just, let's make fun. And So when our entertainment is all those things that God says we are not to be doing, we are in the days of Noah. Not only is it marked by indifference and immorality, but it's marked by ignorance. Verse 39 says, 
And they did not know it until the flood came. God had warned them, but they did not heed the warning. They ignored, were ignorant of the warning. And I don't, you know, there's people who attend church because even Nicodemus came and asked Jesus the question, "Are, are you the Messiah? And how can I get into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, man, you're a scholar. And He said, you're a master in Israel and you don't know these things? Because again, it's not your head knowledge, it's your heart knowledge. It's faith in your heart, not the ideas in your head that get you into heaven. Because you can know all of the Bible that you want, but you haven't trusted who the writer of it is, who the author of God's Word is, then we've missed what salvation is. And so they, they had a warning, but they were indifferent, immoral, and ignorant, and made no preparation. And today I think we could parallel that with so many people today feel that same way about Jesus and His coming. But then we see Noah's family. We look again in verse 7. By faith, Noah, when he was warned of God, of things that he had not seen yet, was moved with reverential fear to prepare an ark. And what was the purpose of that ark? So his house could be saved. And we're talking about his house, we're not talking about something made with lumber. We're talking about his flesh and blood family. God said, I don't want your family destroyed because you're a righteous man. You walk with me like your grandfather Enoch. And therefore, I want you to know that mankind has become so wicked that I am sorry I ever made man. And therefore, I'm going to send judgment upon it. But I want you to build an ark and I want your family and anybody else that you can preach to. So for 120 years, Noah preached and they ignored. But Noah... Thank God, his family believed. His wife was saved, his three children, sons were saved, their three wives were saved, and they were saved. Why? Because they all got in the ark. That was the place of safety. Am I going to heaven only if you're in Jesus? But I think there's a promise there that when mamas and daddies get right, there's a great possibility the children are going to follow. When Paul was and Silas were in the jail at Philippi, and the earthquake came, and the doors were open, and the jailer knew that that was the end for him, he came and asked them a question when he saw they were okay and had heard them preaching and singing about Jesus all night. He asked this question, What must I do to be saved? And Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your heart and you will be saved in your house. I would not be your pastor today. I don't know if I'd be saved today if my dad hadn't been saved and been transformed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because his lifestyle was totally ungodly. And that's the lifestyle that I was choosing to go. Because every kid wants to be like his dad and his mom. You know what breaks my heart? Is that even on Sunday morning, and especially Wednesday night when we have a hundred children here and sometimes a hundred youth, 
Their parents are nowhere to be found near this church. They drop the kids off. They are to be bringing their kids to church, not dropping them off at church. Because your children are going to follow your example, and that's what happened to Noah. How sad it is that many parents take their children into the devil's hell instead of the Lord's heaven. Because they're not concerned about spiritual matters. Back in Noah's day, I shared a little about this Wednesday night when we were talking about Noah then too. Don't you know that children are so fascinated by construction and especially by a big boat? Don't you know many a child would come up and look at Noah building that boat and they'd go home and say, Mom and Dad, I saw this guy building this big boat. What in the world's happening there? And they'd go, oh, don't worry about that. That guy's a nut. In fact, I want to tell you something, kid. I asked my dad the same question. And he just left it all and said, don't worry about him. He's been preaching some strange thing that the world is coming to an end. He's just crazy. You're just going about your way and don't you worry about what he said and what God said because we're here to have a fun time. It's not any different today. We have so many moms and dads that don't care about their spiritual lives. So we see that Noah's family was saved. And then Noah gave a forecast. Not a weather forecast, but he gave a forecast, a warning. Because it says back at verse 7 again, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen, was moved by reverential fear. He began to prepare an ark to the saving of his house, by which also he condemned the world. Now how did he condemn the world? Well, he warned them. He gave a forecast. Tragedy's coming. They had heard the Gospel story for 120 years. And every time Noah was putting a plank on that boat, he was preaching the Gospel of God. He was a preacher who was sharing, here's what God has said and here's what our response needs to be. Repent. Turn from your wickedness and turn toward the Lord in faith. And that's still the message today. But in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, although the people were stirred, it says, Then the Lord said, after the people kept rejecting who the Lord was, the message of Noah, and turning to the Lord, He said, My spirit will not always contend or strive with a man forever. For he is mortal, his days will be 120 years. It's not that he'll just live to 120. It means for 120 years he's heard my man preach my word, and people have rejected what I have said. So therefore, my spirit will no longer strive with them. They're going to die the way they have lived, rejecting God. How sad when they could have found life. Because Jesus Himself said in John chapter 3, verse 19, or John said about Jesus, this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men would love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds are evil. People choose to be evil. People choose to walk in darkness even when they see the light. They go, oh, that's not for me. But then we see, as I close with Noah's fortune. He had faith, he had fear, he had foresight. He preached and his family was saved and he gave the warning, the forecast. But what did it all wind up being? Well, verse 11, I mean 7, chapter 11. 
By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen, was moved with fear. He believed God in faith and he was moved with reverential fear to do what God had said in his faith helped him prepare an ark even when it had never rained to the saying of his house by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness which you become by faith. You become an heir of righteousness. Noah did by faith thousands of years ago and we become heir of righteousness today the same way. And what do you get out of it? Well, those who rejected the ark and said, I'm not listening. I'm not responding. I've got my house. I've got all the things that I have worked for. And that's all that matters to me. Those people who rejected God lost everything they had. And the man who accepted what God had said and rejected the world and spent all of his time doing what God had said gained everything. That's why the Bible says Jesus said this in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. What will it profit a man if he even gains the whole world but loses his soul? You see, if you have faith in what people can do, you've got your faith in the Titanic. If you've got your faith in what God can do, you've got your faith in the right place. He didn't earn His righteousness. He inherited His righteousness by believing and trusting God. And the ark is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter tells us that it's a type, a shadow of what, who Jesus is and what Jesus can do for us. So Noah's story is so important because it's really a picture of salvation. Noah put his faith in the ark. We put our faith in our ark, the Lord Jesus Christ. The ark only had one door. And you can only go in one door into the ark and you can go in one way into heaven. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, that I am the way. I'm the truth. And I'm the life. And no man can get to the Father. Except by me. Don't you know when that water started rising quickly that people tried to change their mind and get on that ark? They tried to climb up those walls. But they couldn't get in. Even if they got to where the door was because there was only one door, the reason they couldn't get in was because God shut the door. Genesis chapter 7-1 tells us this. And the Lord said to Noah, Come you all, your house, into the ark. For I have seen righteousness before me in this generation in you. You've trusted me, you've believed me, you've heard my word, you've walked by my word, and I've counted you as righteousness. So you and your family come into the ark. He didn't say go into the ark. He said come into the ark. You know why God said come into the ark? Because God was in the ark. And he's saying, I want you to come in here with me. Because where God is, is the most safe and secure place in this world. I cannot worry about what men do to me or to you. Because I'm safe in Jesus. And even if they take my life, 
we're safe in Jesus. Because I'd rather be in the ark with Him any day than in the world floundering in an ocean of sin. You see, He was. God shut the door. Noah didn't shut the door. God pulled the door shut. Because there's only one way into the ark and there's only one way into heaven. And Jesus said, I am that door. I am the way. No man can get to the Father but by me. It's a place of security. Security is really not in a place. It's in a person. Named the Lord Jesus Christ. And what was Noah's fortune? It was he was the heir of righteousness. His sins became forgiven. He got a new heart. He was saved for all eternity. Titus chapter 3 verse 7 says, Being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We're heirs of God. Join heirs with Jesus because of our faith in who Jesus is. So let me close with this question. Where's your faith? What object do you have your faith in? Because remember, your faith is only as good as the object in which you place it. Anything but Jesus is a sinking faith. If you want your faith to float, you've got to put it in the right person, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have faith in what man can do, then you have a titanic faith. But if you have a faith in what Jesus can do, you have a gigantic faith. And that makes all the difference, not only now, but for all eternity. Let's pray. I sense the Holy Spirit in this room. I sense some of you, there was a card that was struck in your heart by the Word of God. And that's what God's Word is here for. It's for us to wake up before it's too late. It's for us to get right before we get left. It's for us to have our faith in the unsinkable person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I will go down when Jesus goes down and let me tell you, He's never going down. Even death could not hold Him the grave could not keep Him. And the curses of men and the attitude of men will not hold Him back. He is the King. He is the Lord. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that, but for many it will be too late. This morning, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to pray a prayer. I want to pray that no one would leave this auditorium in the same condition that those did in Noah's day who did not get on the ark. That if you need Jesus, you'll find Him this morning by faith. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You just need to know that I have sinned and Jesus can be my Savior. That's all you need to know. And I'm going to put my faith, not what I can do, but what He's already done. And dine on a cross in my place. And He is the way to God. And I'm going to put my faith in Him. 
And then I'm going to not only put my faith in Him, but I'm going to have a faith that then serves Him all my life. Father, I pray this very moment. That no one would leave this room without preparing to meet God. That no one would leave this room saying a no and they could say an eternal yes to your wonderful plan of salvation. O Spirit of the living God, move in our midst. Convict us of our sin. Help us understand how much You love us and You're not willing for any to perish. And if we perish, it's because we've ignored every warning that You've given us. Father, may our hearts turn toward You. If there's someone here who's never really put their trust and faith in You as Savior, I pray this very moment they'll say, Oh God, I need You. I want You. I want You to forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and be the Lord of my life. And I want to live for You. I'm tired of the way I've been living. I'm tired of the heartache that the world keeps giving. I'm tired of having my faith in the Titanic when I need to have it in the ark of God. The cross of Jesus. Father, many of us here have done that, but we've wandered away from the dedication we need to have toward You. Father, thank You that You're patient with us when we're not patient with You. Father, I pray today that our hearts would be so stirred that we say, Lord, I'm going to drive down a stake of commitment to You that says, Lord, I want to do better. I want to have a faith like Noah that people no matter what they say, can say he believed God and acted upon his faith. So Lord, in the name of Jesus, take control of this time where we respond to your word. And may we hear your word like Noah did and obey and put our faith in you. Thank you for hearing us. And we give you praise for what you're going to do. In the name of Jesus, we ask it and pray. Amen. Let's reverence.